Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaos. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again in another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where plans have been made, and now choices will follow. And so at the top of the show, as I'd like to do, I'd like to thank you, the listener, and especially you, the Patreon supporter. If you've not had a chance to support us on the show, you can at patreon.com slash the Old Ways Podcast. We're also over on YouTube. Hunt us up, the Old Ways Podcast. Give us a subscribe and watch all of the wonderful things which continue to unfold in the future. And now we're going to begin with introductions to my right. Hi there, this is Mike, and I play James Robert Fraser, who has met a man, has made a plan, and is trying to determine a time to enact the plan. Fantastic. I look forward to that. To Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, this is Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and even though I would never admit it to anyone, I am worried about Maggie Bellinger. Um, shouldn't we all be, really? At the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and I get to use dynamite again. Quite possibly, yes. To Mr. Griffith's right. Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger, and I'm 100% sure that my companions were all just about to betray me. Really? I think you might be right. Last, but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney, and uh, what's he to do? There's trousers to worry about, Maggie to worry about, a device to worry about, too much to worry about. There's an awful lot to worry. So what we're going to do with our investigators is turn right back around and have Spike, who plays Mr. Fraser, make a luck roll. My luck's pretty healthy at the moment, but see if I can improve it. Well, that is a success. That's 17 under 72. Very good, sir. Go ahead and take eight points of luck for me. Thank you very much. And Lady Elizabeth, as played by Rena. Okay, I have 49 luck. Let's see how this goes. And I've passed with a 42. Ah, yes. It all come home to roost now. So take nine points of luck. Giles, who plays Simon, give us a luck roll. Well, that's fun. Uh, I have 74 luck, and I just rolled a 78. Ooh. Well, you can take 15 points of luck. Miss Bellinger, as played by Miranda. Yeah, I currently have 22 luck, so let's see how I do. I rolled a 51. Did you now? Well, let's give you some luck, shall we? That's 14 points of luck for you. Fantastic. And Martin, who plays Professor Courtney, to round us out. So Richard has 37 at the minute, and I rolled a 73, which is um, the opposite digits. That's true. You get 18 points of luck, Professor. Time for maths. So as we raise the curtain tonight, we look in on the safe house in Constantinople where a series of strange noises rouses you from bed, Professor. 
People are running around in the hallways here. Maybe run is a strong term, but people are definitely moving back and forth. And the voices have become raised. You're not truly sure what time it is. You, you must have passed out very recently. Or maybe it's been longer than that. Time is a little fuzzy. Richard will get up and uh, check he still has his device. You do? And, and wonder right. Let's see what the hell's going on. All right. Step out of the bedroom there. Um, a little bleary-eyed, of course. But you see, not too far from you, Mr. Fraser has re- seemingly just returned, perhaps with Simon. Gentlemen, you you have just entered the uh, living space after coming back from your talk. See a uh, lightly awake Professor Courtney standing in the hallway. Well, I think what we've just been doing, if I remember correctly, is um, we've been on the trail trying to find out what could have happened to Miss Ballinger. Mm-hmm. Seeing the professor there and uh, in, in a state of some agitation, uh, Mr. Fraser will take the opportunity to signal to him that the game's afoot and, and also kind of motion to, to Simon. Simon, would you uh, appraise the professor of uh, exactly what's uh, what's happening? Uh, I need to speak to her ladyship. I'll let her on. Where, where, where's Maggie? Uh, she was... Where, where is she? And I'm just going to walk right past him uh, and head straight for her ladyship's room. Okay, we'll stay here with the professor, Simon. Fraser asked you to inform the professor with, with what may have just happened. Would you care to regale him? Well, Professor, while you were out of it, we've gone ahead and a posse, if you would, to uh, make a distraction while we go ahead and sneak into the mosque to take care of business. We were using your suitcase liberally. We hope you don't mind. Uh, no, I'm, it's not really mine anyway. Um... Oh, where is Maggie? Not here. Well, I mean, did she step out or? We do know that she's missing, correct, Mike? Oh, certainly. Just for a short recap, as of last game, the two of you, the the pair was paired again um, and went out to search for Maggie because she had left a bloody trail of footprints through the house and the simulacrum pieces are missing and so is she. And this is when you went into the streets to search for her and found a series of, we'll just say, unfortunate events happening to the humans around this space. Well, Professor, apparently she has uh, left and absconded with all the pieces of the simulacrum. We cleaned up the footprints for now, but there was blood everywhere and looks like she may have killed some people outside. I'm sure, surely not. I, 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 I hope... I hope she got away, whoever was um, uh, perpetrating the violence. Surely she did. She's not shy of violence, Professor. She never has been. I mean, she she can be a little bit um, liberal with the, the tongue on on occasion, but uh, she's uh, never, never been violent. So we'll pan just a little bit deeper into the space, and as you, Mr. Fraser, approach Lady Elizabeth's door... You get the sense the weight of the moment has finally arrived. Is the door open? Um, is her ladyship in there working? Because I think the last time we saw them, I think the door might have been open and she was in there working with um, Jonah. That was in the office. All right, so there's nobody in the office, so I'll go and knock. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, your ladyship. Come in, Fraser. 
how, how are things progressing? I think I have what I need, or at least most of it. Translation's a tricky, tricky sort of business, and we didn't have much time, but I think I have it. Just been studying. Um, we have something of a situation here. Miss Bellinger does not appear to be uh, in the house. Simon and I went looking for her. We think that she may have either been taken by or gone willingly with some men in a, a truck, and we have a very strong suspicion that it's the mosque that she's gone to. Wouldn't be surprised. She's a bit impulsive. Thank you for letting me know, Mr. Fraser. That's quite all right. Um, we have also made some arrangements uh, with a gentleman in order to uh, get some assistance with causing a distraction and possibly dealing with any uh, any men, any guards who might be at the mosque. This gentleman has also advised us that a method of entry into the mosque that uh, is more discreet than simply walking down the street and uh, knocking on the door. From what he was saying, I get the impression that it, it's uh, some tunnels or sewers or something of that sort underneath the streets of the city itself. But uh, he needs some information from us as to uh, A, when we are ready to go and we will meet him or, or one of his, his agents and they will uh, show us the direction, and B, when his men should enact that part of the, uh, the operation. So uh, if you uh, have an idea, it would be very useful for us to, uh, to know when we as a party will be ready to, to make our way to the mosque and, and when you anticipate we will arrive there. We need to move as quickly as possible. If she has all the pieces and they have her, we don't have any time. Aye, as far as I could tell, she's taken the simulacrum with her. Well, if uh, if you're ready then, what, say, uh, half an hour and we, we start moving? Sounds about right. I will uh, go and see if I can find one of this, uh, this gentleman's operatives and uh, give them the word. His men will be in place and at a given signal. They will cause something of a commotion, I believe, and we will use that as a distraction by which we can uh, enter through the means he's procured for us. Very well, Mr. Fraser. It's time. Aye. How are you, your ladyship, if you don't mind me asking? Are you feeling up to this? Doesn't really matter if I am, Fraser. Now does it? It has to be done. Do you have everything you need? Well, I will need assistance from all of you, including Paul. I can't do this alone. But my father's daughter doesn't shy away from danger. No, she certainly does not. I have uh, seen that more than once on this particular journey that we've been taking. And I may say, I believe, though I don't wish to speak for him, that uh, I believe your father would have been very proud of you. One can hope. Fraser kind of looks around himself a little kind of nervously, just making sure that they're kind of alone and there's nobody poking their head in through the, the door. Might I, might I have a word with you about something, your, your ladyship, um, and speak candidly in my, my mind. Of course. We're past the time of formality. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say so, your ladyship. I, I, I don't want you to, to think me forward uh, in asking this, but if by some stroke of luck we should survive the task that lies ahead of us, uh, I was wondering if I... If I might ask your leave to 
strike out on my own, so to speak, when we returned to England. I expected to be in service all my days, but well, this adventure, your leadership, this adventure has caused me to to reassess my future. You may have heard me uh, make mention of my, my friend, Mr. Francis Grant, uh, lives in the West Country. Uh, he's currently head footman at, uh, at Westcliff House, um, the estate of Sir Basil Crichton Ward. Uh, he and I have discussed in the past the possibility of, of entering into a business partnership together. Uh, well, until now, it's been little more than a, a pipe dream, really, but... In recent days, I've been giving the matter a, a deal of thought, and I've come to realise that there comes a point in one's life when one has to take a risk, a leap of faith, if you will. There is a, a public house just outside uh, Witchhampton, the horse and groom by name, and, well, its landlord is getting on in years, and I, I believe he would for the right price, uh, be willing to sell up the place and, and enjoy his retirement. I've toyed in the past uh, with the notion of, uh, of owning and running a, a, a wee pub with a, a couple of rooms upstairs. And I was thinking if the professor was possibly willing to loan me uh, a little of the money that um, we have from Dr. Smith, I could uh, see about the purchase of the horse and groom and set myself up as landlord there in partnership with uh, Mr. Grant. Francis has always been an excellent cook and, well, I believe we could make a go of it. There's even a garden there with, with roses uh, which could do with a wee bit of judicious pruning. I should, of course, make um, arrangements for a suitable replacement for myself in your household. Fraser, I don't know what I'd do without you, but of course you must... Go on your way. I have every hope for you. And, well, I must say, there's someone I've come to care about very deeply that I choose, if I survive this, to go in search of and perhaps spend some time with her. There's a very heavy weight on that word. Fraser kind of uh, a little speechless after a moment. Yes, of course, your ladyship. Happiness is in short supply and... We must grasp it firmly with both hands when we can. Come speak to me about this again if we make it out, Fraser, and I will give you every assistance I can. But if we are to make these dreams reality, we must, we must act. Of course. Thank you. And she's going to take your hand just for a moment. Let's do this, James. Fraser, flicker of a smile on his face. Aye. Your ladyship. Stout heart. Alrighty. Paul steps into the middle space where Simon, you, and the professor are finishing talking. And he says, I've uh, gathered what medicines and, and linments I have for what I can only imagine is going to be a very dark night. I'm going to pass out to each one of you something important just in case we need to use it gives you a each one of you a wrap of what seems to be cloth there's a some of a strange antiseptic scent to it um any sort of any sort of travel when it comes to this place if it goes underground there could be some fairly caustic smells from sewers or any other potential rot that may be down there 
You don't want to inhale that. If that is where we end up, make sure you cover up. So um, a kerchief soaked in water or something of the like? Yeah. Small chemical concoction I've made. Hopefully we'll keep any of the dangerous smells at bay. Thank you, Paul. I'm very glad you're here with us. What is the plan beyond that? When do we leave? Uh, well, I believe the ladyship will be ready to depart um, within the next 30 minutes. Uh, I'm going to go and get word to the man that's assisting us. Appraise him of the situation, and then we'll be off. So I would say make any preparations that you need to make. Uh, I'll go and advise the professor and Simon, and we shall await the word. Paul moves on his way. I think Fraser will be about to leave the room, heading towards um, uh, Simon and, and, and Richard. When he kind of pause for a moment and just turn and say, Your ladyship, might I ask you to uh, speak to the professor and Simon um, briefly, uh, whilst I go and see about making contact with uh, the man who will assist us, if it's not too much of an imposition? Of course not. Fraser, you take your leave and you head out. As far as the camera time for this, realistically, we'll say is for the duration of the time that Lady Elizabeth is talking with the rest of the party. You're off making what contact you need to make. It shouldn't be too difficult. I will say a brief prayer to Mother before I leave my room, and then I will go down to see the others. Paul, I'm glad you're coming with us. I'm going to need your assistance. Undoubtedly. Mr. Griffith, Professor, are you prepared? I... uh, uh, for what? We're going to go... I hope rescue Miss Bellinger, and we're going to destroy the simulacrum, and I'm going to need your help, and I'm not going to take any dithering about it. Uh, When I asked about Maggie earlier on, nobody seemed to know where she was. Um, where is she? You, You seem to be better informed than the others. She appears to have gone with the red fezzed gentleman. Oh. She's in danger, Professor. And if you have any care in the world whatsoever for her well-being, you will make decisions. They... they took her, I presume? Or she went along with them. She left with the simulacrum pieces of her own volition, and it's entirely possible that she chose to go with them under the delusion that she needs to become the simulacrum herself, based on a conversation that I had with her. Yes, uh, you're, you're saying they tricked her into it. I, I mean, that, that that's the only sensible explanation. Professor? Yes? Mind if I intervene, Lady E? Go ahead. Professor, what Lady E's trying to tell you is Miss Maggie is gone. It doesn't matter why she's gone, but we gotta go do this. So stop trying to come up with an explanation and let's just vamoose. Well, yes, I, you, you have no argument from me there. Get your device, have yourself prepared, Mr. Griffith. I am certain you are prepared already. Mr. Fraser has gone to obtain our reinforcements, and we need to be ready to go the moment he returns. I, I'm already ready. Um, yes, yes, I have everything I need. We, we should go now. I mean, if we know where she is, surely... We need to give Mr. Fraser a moment to return because we need our backup, Professor. Can't go storming in on our own. We don't know how many of them there are. So. 
It's all somewhat of a... So we're going to cut camera then to a mosque. A dingy, dirty mosque. Miss Bellinger, you awake very briefly. Very, very briefly. You find yourself laying on a stone slab, staring up at what you believe is a stone ceiling. You're very weak and disoriented in the moment. You can feel sort of disconnected. All of the pain from the simulacrum is still present. And there is now an overriding and needing feeling beginning to burn within you because the pieces are very far away. At least they feel that way. Am I restrained in any way? Your hands and your ankles are bound. That's what I assumed as much. There does also seem to be a series of heavy hemp ropes between them. I would test the ropes to see how well they tied me, see if I could, you know, slip my thumb in a little bit and and see if I can all my strength try to pull out of at least my hands. The hands are probably going to be easier than my legs. Yeah, certainly. You're happy to attempt so. I'm happy to let you. It's a strength roll. Super. Um, and he has 35 strength. It's not her strength. You don't say. So I rolled a, f- a 50 and a 90, so 90. Over 35, yeah. You struggle for a few minutes until your elbows and shoulders start to burn from the tension and the stress. Mm-hmm. You're not sure if the ropes have gotten tighter since you started, but you have gotten a better look, at least a look around. Yeah, now that I've kind of come to a bit more. Yeah. So you're in a small-ish, I guess, area, maybe 20 by 20, and there seem to be these niches in the wall around you, these cut-out spaces where there are bodies. Some of them are what appear to be cadavers, Some of them appear to be rotting. There's a very strong, earthy scent in this room, and it is likely from decomposition. Your wrists are tied together with very little slack. And so when you've been trying to move back and forth to excise yourself from one or or both of them, you've managed to sort of pull your legs up into a, a different position to try to get slack on the rope. And so now you're... You're in not a great state physically in this space. I think Maggie's getting kind of pissed off about this. I mean, I came here willingly to help them and they knock me out and tie me up. So Maggie's going to start like frustrated noises and then what? Uh, Someone untie me. You didn't have to do this. I came here willingly. I'm a willing participant in this and you can't do this without me. And and there's no reason for you to tie me up. Someone come help me. Untie me right now. The worst part of it isn't just the struggle. It's the echo and the silence afterwards. After a moment or so, you begin hearing a murmuring from down below you. It's definitely coming from beneath this space. And then at the end of the hall, there at the end of this space where there's a doorway, you see a light slowly working its way up into the space. Does the murmuring, does it sound like it would be voices, like there's people talking below me somewhere? Yes. Can I shut my big trap and try to listen to hear what they are saying? Certainly. 
Yeah, I will give you a listen roll as that light gets closer and closer to blooming here in the room. That's something I'm slightly better at. A 71 under 77. Ooh, okay. Yeah, the voices that you can make out beneath you seem to be rhythmically saying many of the same words in a slow and specific pace. The light does finally arrive in this space. The illumination does not help your stomach at all. It sort of spills out onto the space, this 20 by 20 or so stone room, and you realize that there are many, many more bodies in this room than you realized. You've seen a dead body two or three times. So it's not a sanity-inducing role by any means. And the flame that produces all this light is being held by a rather large man who begins to move towards you. He's dressed in dirty, dark, white linens. I say dark because of all of the use and all of the, well, let's just say the day's work have made them a little darker. Maggie's going to use her legs. Hopefully she can kind of like do, do a crunch, essentially, to try to scoot herself off of this slab, hoping that I can maybe find something sharp on the ground or even use the corner of the slab to cut through the ropes before he gets to me. I know that that's, it's a last ditch effort, but that's what Maggie's going to do. It's an unlikely thing, but. I love the idea for you. So why don't you give me a dexterity roll? I think it's a fair to say that this is something that would require dexterity. <laughs> yeah, I rolled a 96 over 85. I rolled two 96s over 85, by the way. Okay, but but your your status above fifty, so it's not a fumble per se, mm-hmm. which which is good for you. You furiously try to rub your hands back and forth on this stone lip, fast as you can, trying to get away. It does not work. The sort of thick fingers grab the back of your head, give a full amount of the hair there and yank you off this space out of bed and force you onto your feet. They are not being kind in any way, shape or form. What are, what are you doing? I, I, I came here willingly. I'm a willing participant and I, this is, this is ridiculous. This man releases his hand from the back of your head and then sort of takes a measure of you for a second. In that second, Can I, hands bound together, swing them at his face? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. He's not expecting you to fight him, so what I will do is I will give you an advantage which will cancel the disadvantage you're currently coping with with the Baleful Influence. So it is a flat roll. 24 under 47. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to play Hand of Fate against you, and I'm going to fail you automatically. Okay. You swing, and this man chooses in that instant to fight back. He ducks out of the way of your attempt at this sort of double axe handle hit to the face, and he punches you as hard as he can in the gut. He will deal you three hit points worth of damage. This doubles you over, and when it does, he will use you being doubled over and tied up to scoop you up onto his shoulder like a piece of meat. Yeah. 
Maggie will not go quietly into this night, and she will be flailing and beating against his back with her hands and kicking. And What's Miss Bellinger's intelligence? Miss Bellinger's intelligence is a 70. She's pretty smart. Yeah. So you sort of unceremoniously beat on the back of his beat him in the back with your hands trying as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. And then you realize something. His torch is really fairly close, actually. You might be able to extend and burn through some of these ropes attached to your hand. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely do that. I mean, when you said torch, my immediate thought was I can burn him to death with it. But yeah, I'll burn through the ropes, Mike. That sounds good, too. Okay. So he turns and he begins walking around, you know, the outside of this square room where all these bodies are at and you very carefully very covertly begin setting your wrists on fire this is not a pleasant situation by any means the hemp however is very dry and so it catches fire really quick and so now what i'll do is i will give you a strength roll with advantage to break the ropes poor poor 35 strength maggie rolled a 68 okay you struggle and you struggle and you pull a couple of these pieces apart. You deal yourself a point of damage from having burned yourself now. You scream out. You don't have any choice but to. And he moves you from his shoulder and I guess tries to carry you like a sack of potatoes. And so he wraps his arm around your stomach and sort of holds you close to the side of his body like he would a tiny little baby child. Of course he is. Um, But now I'm by his waist. You are. And a lot of people have a lot of things in their waistband. Ooh. I'm going to see if I can grab a knife, if I can grab whatever this this gentleman may have in his belt. So, yes, I will say that he does have a knife on him. I think it is reasonable for you to attempt to grab at that knife and potentially, anyway, stab him with it. So you are... In this sort of action, given that you have a higher dexterity than he does, you would go first. So if you're going to grab and pull at that knife, I don't think there should be a roll for that because he's not contesting you. So if you say you pull the knife, then you do. And then my question is, what would you do with it? Well, I'm I'm being potato carried. So I think it's going to go right in his leg. Okay. Maybe towards the inside. Well, that's rude. Well, I was aiming for an artery more than anything, but Maggie will really just stab whatever she can reach. Certainly. Which is going to be her legs down there, and that's what she's going okay. for. Go for it. <laughs> I rolled an 82. I rolled a 2 and an 82. Felt the need to say that um, because I'm disadvantaged. But, you know, Maggie really needs, I need a win. Can I push the roll? Oh, certainly. Okay. And it's just one more tens roll, right? If I push, okay. You, of course, understand that failed push rolls are bad. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware, but I, I need a win. Need a win here. I rolled a two again, so it's a two. Okay. Double zeros again. That's a two under a 47. Okay, so it's an impale. Bladed weapon. Okay, got it. So this knife does a D3 plus two because this is a cult skinning knife. So we'll automatically do five damage and then you'll roll a D3 plus two and we won't have to worry about any strength bonus with you, Miss Bellinger. My D3 is a two. You said plus two? Yep, so it's four. So four plus five is nine. 
So yeah, you stab him in the inner thigh really hard. And he groans. And the first thing that happens is you fall on your ass because he has to let go of you because he loses all the strength in his arm because he's dead. Yes. I might stab him another time just for good measure. Just so you know. Yeah, you get blood everywhere, but you feel like you are justified. I assume that you're going to quickly cut the ropes free. Yeah, and then try to get my bearings with where I'm at and where he's carried me to and who might be around. And Okay. We will leave you there for just a moment. So back at the house, Fraser, you have made contact with your messenger. Wasn't hard to find at all. I guess what I need to know is what message are you giving him? So the message that I'm going to give him is that we will be ready in 20 minutes now, I suppose it will be. And if the person who is going to show us our way can meet us here at that time and uh, guide us through whatever passageways that we need to go down in order to get secretly to the mosque, I'll also ask them to make sure that the men that he's got ready to cause the distraction. And I'm, I'm assuming they're going to assault the mosque in some way from outside, from uh, ground level, to have them ready to go at the time at which we will reach the mosque by way of whatever route that we're taking. So I don't obviously know how long that route takes, but I'm sure that he does. He knows how long it's going to take us to get from here to the mosque and just coordinate it. So by the time we arrive at the mosque, that's when they kick off and we'll hopefully be able to hear that or, you know, worst come to worst, just just kind of time it and hope for the best. Okay. After giving the message, the messenger that you speak with says that he'll pass along the message and he wishes you good fortune and then runs. And uh, I'll head back into the house. Okay. You head back into the house. So back at the safe house, there is a collection now of investigators as Mr. Fraser has returned and everyone else, as you return, Fraser seems to be standing ready. Jonah has made some tea and some coffee and is sort of sitting outside of the rest of the group, watching them in the collection that they're they're there. He seems to be eyeing everyone a little bit. Also, we are about to take our leave. I assume you will not be joining us in this endeavor. No, that's not where my orders take me. Well, I'd like to extend our very grateful thanks for allowing us to use this residence. Sure, I mean, don't thank me yet. It could all go up in flames. For what you've done so far. Things going up in flames is sort of our specialty at this point. Yeah, no doubt. My plan is to leave the city because I got a feeling that once this sort of starts... It might not stop. And I've been ground zero at a few of these things. No fun. Well, I, I think we should make a move. I'm If, if we know where Maggie is and we're, we're ready, then we should uh, leave. Now. If I haven't already had time to do so, I'll make sure that I have got my... I, I'm just trying to remember. I had two pistols, but I think I, I stopped. I dropped one of them because it ran out of ammunition and just started using the other one. I mean, I would like to have picked it back up again, but if that's if that's not something that I could have done, then... No, I, I'm going to assume that you have your Webley, the pistol you've had since the beginning. I'm going to assume, investors can correct me if I'm wrong, they're not going to take any steamer trunks with them. 
So they're sort of leaving their worldly belongings here as best they can. I'm also going to assume that someone like Simon is going to be carrying dynamite with him rather than leaving it here. So I'd like, I'd like to have the 38, the Webley, the Lupara, and plenty of spare ammunition in my pockets, as well as a flashlight. Got my book and my gun, and that's it. I'm needing the book more than the other things. I'm trusting everyone else to be the protection. But yeah, I'm ready to go. Reasonable. Simon has a scroll with a head. Thank you. Time to go. Uh, Simon has the Thompson wrapped up in a blanket like he's carrying something. So he's got two sets of two sticks wrapped of dynamite with fuses for use. Fantastic. So the investigators set out from the safe house and begin sort of a circuitous route to the starting point that they were given. Traveling there, the city is oddly very quiet. Afternoon has pushed into early evening, and there's a series of clouds that are forming around the very dim sunset. You meet in a courtyard somewhere, your contact, Akhtar, who urges you all to get off the street and come to cover. He tells you all a couple of important things, seemingly in the moment. He says, I have been able to muster 20 men with rifles. I have a boy here. He sort of gestures to a corner where there's a kid no more than maybe six or seven years old standing there, just sort of staring at Akram. When we head down, this boy will send a message to those men. They will begin making their way to the mosque. We'll have very little time to make our way and traverse these spaces. It's upsetting what they have done. Even now I am hearing that many of the youths who have been off these streets, many of them may have been taken by these terrible people. Justice is what I ask in return. I will not be able to make the entire route with you, although I will ferry you as best I can. Now, come with me into the underworld. Mr. Akhtar, you have wax available? Wax? I, I suggest we all carry a little wax with us in case I have to shoot this underground. Shoot what underground? Simon, since we're undercover, draws out the Thompson from the blanket. You should not have to use it underground at all. The way I use is protected. It has been this way for decades. He heads inside the house and he nods very quickly to the child who waited. And that kid takes off like a rifle shot. Inside the house, most of the things that you see are sort of perfunctory. They're for just simple, visual. It's almost like a stage has been set up. There is a house here. There are things that appear as if they are used, but close inspection on the inside says, seems to show that they're not used at all. And so a sort of pantomime is going on. He takes you into the back of the house where there is a very long staircase, which he uncovers by pulling a rug away. And he heads down several flights of stairs. At the end of this stairway, there is a long hallway. It's probably, I'd say about 10 meters long. And it ends in a stone doorway. He pulls a lever on that stone doorway and the door moves to the side. Heavy piece of stonework moves almost effortlessly. And what comes 
in through that doorway is the smell of a cistern. So there's a deep, dank smell that comes in. This is probably the point at which we put on our um, scarves with whatever concoction Paul has um, put together. Paul is likely the first one to pull up the thick bandages and he wraps it around his face. They almost look like bandanas of sorts. They sort of hang down over the face. They create a triangle shape. Actar steps into this cistern area, which, while it smells like it's used, seemingly the floor here is dry. And he walks with you in the dark. I know one of the party here definitely has a torch. I assume there's probably a couple, which is fine. Actar uses a very, very small light in his hand. And he gets to a section of the wall and he stops and puts his hand sort of on it and begins to feel around for something on the wall. He pushes into the wall. You hear a click very audibly. And then this piece of the wall drops all the way down. And then you see another staircase that goes down. And he looks back and says, uh, mind you, here's where things will get a little wet. These stairs continue into the water, probably about eight or ten steps down. There are a couple of rungs here to, to hold on to as you get into the water. And just up ahead, he points and you see that there's a very small skiff that sits here. And he says, we'll use the skiff. It should be able to seat each one of you. No sudden movements, of course. We don't want to capsize. We have many keen-eyed investigators with us, so I'll just let them muse on the fact that as you make these turns through here, you are seeing very small, almost arrow-slit-style cuts in some of these stones. And more than one of you probably pick out eyes that watch your movements. In the boat, if you would. He steps into it. And climb into the boat. There are oars here as well. Are those your people watching us? For certain, they watch every passage that takes place. And they are quite handy with the blowgun for those unwelcome passengers. I'll get in and um, I'll sit at a either an oar or a pair of oars, depending on how it's um, laid out. Yeah, so you could sit at a pair of oars if you were to sort of straddle the middle seat on the benches here. But there are space enough for everyone to do their part. Paul and Lady Elizabeth, and then Simon and the Professor, and Mr. Fraser and Actar all begin rowing. You row into the darkness. It is some of the most unnerving travel ever. Above you, there is an unknown amount of space. Casting your flashlights around, you get the sense that some of these cisterns, some of these spaces here are hundreds of years old. The flashlight, the torches that you have can't reach the top of the ceiling. You hear things in the distance, perhaps bats, other critters moving around. At one point, Lady Elizabeth, your something grabs onto your oar just for a moment. You can feel the resistance. It takes about 15 minutes, but it's harrowing nonetheless. You eventually butt up against a stone wall and Actar stands up and steps out of the boat. He assists Mr. Fraser in getting out of the boat and says, please see to your party. I will see to your entrance. No sudden sounds. Understood. 
torches down. He sort of points his light to the ground down. If I can use a handkerchief or something to to reduce the amount of light coming out of my torch, I'll do so. And uh, offer my hand to her ladyship to assist her out of the boat. One by one, the investigators get out of the boat. Akhtar leads you up a very thin stone walkway until it eventually turns to the right. And he flattens his back against the wall and you see him take out a curved blade, short, maybe three or four inches long. And he slides this dagger into a crack in the wall. Gradually, slowly, puts enough leverage that you can start to see one of these stone pieces move out towards him just so he can get his fingertips on it and then pull the stone. And after he pulls it out two or three inches, he moves to the opposite side and then points to you, Mr. Fraser, and then points to the stone to sort of assist him in filling it out the rest of the way. I shall do so. It comes out. The stone piece is about two feet square, so not very big at all. He takes the piece, moves it on the walkway, so that way people could actually enter the space. And he whispers to you, Fraser, beyond this wall, you are under the mosque. Do you understand? Under? Aye. Aye. You'll have to make your way through this tunnel and then into one of the antechambers and up the stairs. And then you'll be on the mosque's main floor. Very good. Thank you. I think at this point I will take out my pistol. Be mindful. This area of the mosque is a tomb. We will make our way along and will we be able to hear the noise of your men outside? You'll hear. You'll be able to hear them. That shall be our uh, call to action then. He sticks his right hand out, his palm open. In a sort of shaking hands gesture, I'll shake him by the hand. Godspeed. And you, sir. Miss Bellinger, you have just stabbed a man to death. You freed yourself from the ropes. And now I must ask you, where does your future lie? Can I get my bearings about me? Can I listen to see where there is any concentration of voices or footsteps? Really what Maggie wants to do is obviously they have taken Maggie and stolen the pieces for themselves so that they can cut off one of their skins and put it on. And I don't care how many 20 men I have to kill. I just want to get those pieces back. And so Maggie is going to start slinking about the place, trying to find where they're being kept. You begin to covertly move. So I have a couple of additional questions for you. Are you taking the torch or are you leaving it? Is there, we're not getting enough light in here for me to be able to see otherwise, are we? Not fully, no. So there are windows, it looks like up higher. So now that you're in this main space and have had a chance to breathe and and your adrenaline has sort of come down a little bit, you see that you're in some sort of tower. Mm -hmm. And up above you, there are windows. And by up above, I mean maybe 20 or 30 feet. They're unreachable for you physically because there's no way to get up to them. And they have a little light of daylight left, but it is twilight at best. 
I think that Maggie would take the torch, and if needed, I will extinguish it as necessary. Like, if someone is coming and I need to hide, I'll I'll snuff it out, but otherwise I'll take the torch. Okay, you take the torch. There is one exit from this room. It is a doorway there that this gentleman came through. That seems to be, as you look a little bit deeper at it, there seems to be a stairway down there. Well, easy choice to make then. I'm going down them stairs. Especially since I heard chanting below me somewhere. You did. So you slowly slink down the stairs. The chanting does rise in volume as soon as you get into the stair- stairway area. It's fairly clear to you that there does seem to be an awful lot of voices there. This feels like an old church congregational size. You've probably been to church a couple times as a kid, and you can remember all the voices when people would sing hymns or whatever. And as you continue down the stairs, it does give you just the slightest view out of one of these nearby windows about where you're at. So you can see from here that you're in the mosque that you originally came to willingly. And you can see that in the sort of larger portion of the mosque, which is out this window and and down, the tower stands up and then there's the main building right next to it, sort of sandwiched together. You can see that there's lights in that space. There's torches, candles, etc. And there's an awful lot of people in there. Can I understand anything that they're saying? Do you speak Arabic? I don't. Is French close enough? It is not, actually. Can, if I can get enough of a, a a look in, and I would even venture to say that Maggie would dangerously look at, like she would lean in. She's really looking for these pieces. And since everyone is kind of located, congregating here, worshiping, it sounds like, I would certainly worship the pieces if I were them and if I was me. And so I think they might be in here. So Maggie might even go as far as to try to sneak into the room to see if they have them or not. You having come down a couple of flights of stairs are in a space where you can view the main hall and then what appears to be this ritual space that they have set up. You can see even in this light that there has to be maybe 60 people in this room. And they are seemingly worshiping these pieces, at least in a strange way. There does seem to be a man at the center of this space who is leading them. This is the same man that you saw who picked you up in the truck. This is the same man you saw outside the hotel in Sofia and the same man that you saw at the Challenger Lecture Series oh so many months ago. This is the man who supposedly died three times in one night. And he is doing something with his hands. He seems to be moving about left and right, making these strange sort of gestures that don't make a ton of sense to you. But there does seem to be a strange haze in the air. And his fingertips are leaving these markings in the air. It's the strangest thing in the world. And everybody is very focused on him. What do these people look like? Oh, uh, so all ages and shapes and sizes, but most of them are fairly malnourished. Some of them are lepers. They're covered in baggy white linens, some most of which are dirty. And then they equally seem to be wearing these red sashes around their necks, three or four inches wide. 
And um, the sashes have a strange discoloration to them, almost like striations in the sash. Mm -hmm. Because my thought is I want to get closer. I might have to strike when the time is right, but also I want to get closer and see what's going on. So is, there's not like a take, here's a platter of sashes and take one so you can plug in nearby, I'm guessing. But that's that's Maggie and Miranda's thoughts is how can I blend in with this crowd? Is it like crowded enough that I could intermingle and make myself look like I belong? Or am I going to be relegated to the shadows here? I think given your time and attention taken to picking out details. I would say that Maggie is likely going to see that everyone is wearing very similar attire that you are not wearing. Mm -hmm. That said, if you chose not to enter the main hall and went directly across this sort of vestibule area, there just appear to be a room on the other side here. It's maybe 30 or 40 feet that way. The door is a bit ajar doesn't appear that there's anyone in there. It's a darkened room, so you don't know what's in there, but maybe they keep a, you know, need one, take one robe thing there. Mike, you can't tempt me with a darkened room when I am in need of a, a cultist attire like that. Uh, so I would definitely try to sneak sneak right on over there. Okay, so why don't you give me a um, a stealth roll? I will not put you a disadvantage because everyone's attention for the most part is aimed directly in one specific direction. So they're not really paying attention to a ton of the stuff that's going on outside of it. I rolled a 60 over 50 and I'm just flush with luck right now. And as fun as it would be for me to be seen right now, uh, sometimes failing is fun. I will spend the luck. Okay, you spend the luck. You're able to sneak across the vestibule area or this open space. You, know, you can hear, by the way, as you cross, you can hear the sounds of the city outside. They're right, it's right open through that doorway. But you sneak all the way across and get into this other space. Part of you wishes you had. Of course, of course. It's a small part. You do see robes in this room, many of them. Many, many, many of them. All shapes, all sizes, mostly dirty. But it does seem to be that they are all made of a specific material. Are they flesh robes, Michael Diamond? Oh, yes. Of course they are. So you're going to have to make me a sanity roll. Okay. You might be surprisingly sane. Maggie rolled a 38 under 59. Okay, so you lose a point of sanity, but it is something that you you can do. You can force yourself. You know, I was willing to take my own skin off. I'm willing to put another layer of skin on. It feels, you know, equal, fair, fair. You wrap yourself up. Perhaps his name is Theodore. But you wrap yourself up in skin and you cover yourself and then you have to get the toughest part done, which is the sash, which is an extremely long tongue, which is draped around your neck. And the worst part is, Miss Ballinger, is the tongue is, has been kept moist. 
And so there's a bit of a spongy texture to it. The human tongue is very long. Is it? These are. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I push through. You are properly attired now. Oh, fantastic. You kind of squish a little bit when you walk. There's some noises. You're not really prepared for them, but you realize that it's a means to an end and and you have to you have to do the part you have to do the thing that is what you've always done which is do the thing which is necessary and those pieces are not far from you now yeah i'll slip back out and see if i can blend in with the crowd a little i want to get a, a closer look at what this guy is doing with the parts and with his hands i don't want to strike yet but i i do want to lean into the activities a little a little more Okay. So as your keeper, I'll just ask, how close are you getting? Oh, the temptation is too much for Maggie. So Maggie would maybe start to the back in one side, but then just keep gradually pushing her way closer and closer and closer until she's in the like first or second row of people. Okay. So let me ask you, just so I can track you properly, left or right? Was the vestibule off to the left or right? Yeah, so like when you enter the space, the main hall where all your all the other cultists here, flesh-robed cultists, are at, mm-hmm. to get close to what's going on and to sort of stick to the outside, you'd have to pick the left or right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then left, because that's left is right. I mean, you're tenacious, Miss Ballinger, but I doubt you're going to go directly down the center. No, I exactly, yeah. Le- left is right. That's the way I'll go. Okay. You head left. Down below the mosque, the investigators have squeezed themselves, I think is the best term, into a tunnel space, which they've been told is below the mosque. So what I would like from my investigators who are down below is a marching order as to who goes in first and how you're approaching this space. What kind of width of corridor have we got? Just wide enough for one person? Or? Definitely, just wide enough for one person. And the rock here is not, we'll just say, hewn stone at all. It's not carved. This is, in effect, a dirt tunnel. Okay, so so there was a kind of a two-foot cubish stone that... And Actor and I took out the wall, leading to this kind of hewn, roughly sort of circular tunnel, is it? Yep. I think Fraser will look at Simon, being the other ex-military man there. Simon, you want to uh, take the front or the rear? I'm thinking that I should take the rear. You are definitely more the silent type than I am, sir. Very well. Do you, um, by chance, have... A blade to spare. I'm thinking that it might be more silent if we run into any trouble down here than a pistol. I do. It's balanced for throwing, but you should be able to use it with your hand. Thank you. Simon will pass Jim one of the pair, and that leaves Simon with two knives. Thank you. Uh, he'll look or look around. Paul is still with us, isn't he? Yes. Yes, Paul is still with you. He has been sort of taking up a middle position, likely just ahead of Lady Elizabeth, but probably just behind the professor. Professor, are you behind me? Paul, your ladyship, Simon taking the rear. Everybody good with that? Yes. Then we make no sound at all. 
you have, have a gun or something I can use? Do you know how to use a gun? Um, I'm sure I can manage in a push. Very well. And I'll pass him the 38. You really should have thought of this before we came out. I'm afraid the last one I found uh, was in the toilet. I wasn't quite sure where to get another one. Did you check the toilets? Uh, no. no. Come on, we don't have time for this. On we go. The group presses through. Simon, why don't you give me a geology roll while you're in here? Simon's geology is a 63. I rolled a 77. And I think I'm going to spend the 14 luck to pass this. Okay. Spending the luck gives you a little bit of information. This mosque, while it has been around for likely several hundred years, if not longer, is not on the greatest of footing when it comes to its foundation. Properly placed, if necessary, significant explosives could likely completely shatter the foundation. Simon's going to pause the group. Jim, let's close up. I I have something to tell y'all. We're in a tunnel, Simon. Come on, tell us when we get to the end of it. No, this is what I need to tell you while we're in the tunnel. So you see this right here? These uh, markings, the striations, there's different uh, layers of the soil here. And this, well, let's just say that the mosque is not built on a strong foundation. If I were to stick a couple sticks of dynamite right here, we could bring down the whole house. We can do that on the way out if we make it that far, but we can't bring it down yet. Well, I understand, but how about I set this up here? And the reason why I'm saying do it here before we get to the end is so y'all are aware what's going on. Do you want to set some dynamite here and then light it on our way out? I think that would be a good idea, yeah. A foolish man built his house upon the sand. Uh, Let me work to our advantage. Good man. Might be as quick as you can. Let's keep moving. Do you want Simon to make a demolitions roll? Um, sure. 31 under 39. Okay. You set some explosives. We'll put a pin in that factoid. It may be useful later. So the pathway forward for our investigators is murky at best. There's clearly no light down here, minus what your torch you may have, or perhaps a lighter or matchbook. Are we actually able to stand up in this tunnel, or are we kind of going hands and knees? You are hands and knees, much to the chagrin of Lady Elizabeth. So for you, of course, Lady Elizabeth, this is this is hard work, very hard work. While you're not prevented from the task by any means, you are made to feel every bit of this portion of the journey. Extremely uncomfortable. Your movement forward you spend probably a couple of minutes, I would imagine, just getting reoriented after the talk and then prepared for what lies ahead. The tunnel goes about 60 or so feet before you hit a sharp left, Mr. Fraser. Okay, I'll kind of signal for people to stop for a moment and I'm going to listen carefully around the tunnel and if I can't hear anything I'll carefully poke my head 
down and see if I can make out any, anything. It's going to be chancy because I'm, I'm going to need a little bit of light potentially to, to see ahead. But if I, if I expose the light, then uh, we'll immediately be seen. So, Go ahead and make me a listen roll and we'll find out what you hear. That's a hard success, 30 under 60. Oh, fantastic. So you hear, with that hard success, murmuring going on. It's a dull and resonant tone that occasionally picks up and then flattens back out. It reminds you of the din of a market, perhaps, or perhaps an unenthusiastic religious hymn. It's a bit further along up this sort of dirt corridor and maybe on the other side of a wall. Is it quite muffled? It's definitely muffled. You think it's distant, but you can't help but feel like it's a prelude of something. Something is going on in this mosque, and it's not right. I'll um, turn back to the others. There's voices up ahead. I can hear. Sounds like a group of people. I can't tell how many. They're murmuring, speaking, but it sounds more than that. It's uh, like they're reciting something. They're chanting, Mr. Fraser. Let's go, quietly. Do you continue on your path, Mr. Fraser? Yep. So the left that you make is followed by a fairly close right, we'll say within 10, 15 feet. And you come to what looks like clods of earth and, and dirt have been pressed against this wooden door. Now the door looks more like a, perhaps a chimney chute uh, or something like that. It's, it's again, about two feet by two feet. It's not very big. Uh, there's a rope handle on this end and all along its border, there is a sickly green glow. Does that green glow like look like it's coming from what's on the other side of this door or from the door itself? Yeah, it looks like it's coming from what's on the other side of this door. Can I potentially, using this knife, just sort of make a, a little hole in, in the dirt, see if, if the door is slats or something, or if it's solid. Or so. I, I want to see if I can get a tiny tiny little hole to be able to peek through to see what's on the other side of the door. Yeah, you can absolutely go... The, going to the door and scraping some of the dirt reveals that the door is slats uh, rather than solid. And so you are able to find, um, we'll just say, a, a knot in one of the slats here. And uh, with just the right amount of dexterity, you pluck out one of them, the middle of a ham bone, and you are able to get just the briefest of glimpses inside of this room. There is what looks to be a, a chamber of sorts uh, set aside for burial needs. The glow, that green, baleful glow, is coming from candles which have been placed uh, around the space that burn the strangest and unsettling of colors. Large jars placed in the corners, perhaps they're oil lamps of sorts, give uh, a standard candle glow to this area. But the differences that flicker between the two is that's maddening to look at and you have to turn away after a moment or two. But there are no figures inside this uh, this chamber. You do not see any figures in this chamber, at least standing up. It's a burial chamber, so there are um, 
what you would normally find in a burial chamber here. There are, um, much like they have in some of the other spaces, they have cut-ins in the wall where, where bodies have been placed. I'll turn back to the others again. Beyond this door is the burial chamber. There's some candles in there illuminating it. Very strange light. Yeah, I would be... I'm avoid looking at it for too long if I were you. Uh, there doesn't seem to be anyone in there. I'm going to try and open the door as quietly as I can. And that is what I will try to do. I say what, I'll give you dexterity or I would give you stealth as well. Because I think this is a pure act of you trying to be quiet. Well, my stealth is 69. So I think I will go for that because it's slightly better than my dexterity. Okay, so I rolled an 86 and I am going to spend the required amount of luck, which I believe will be 17 points of luck to make that a successful stealth roll. Very well. You succeed on stealth and you push very, very carefully on this door. And it's a good thing that you make your roll because when you push on this door, the door comes off the hinges and you are there held, fingers tightly clasped around the wood and dirt of this exit chute or door or whatever it's meant to be as dry rot has destroyed the hinges. I will grab hold of it as it threatens to fall and very carefully lower it to the floor. You do so. And that green glow bathes the rest of this tunnel in its light. And all of you are able to see a little bit of what awaits you. For the rest of us, listeners included, you'll get to see the rest of the journey next time. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. The end is nigh. Thank you and good night.